Welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. Whether you're in the room live, watching online or later on demand, or even listening to our podcast, it's a great day to be at Dayspring. If you are visiting Dayspring today, we want you to know that this is the kind of church where you get to be you. There's no need to pretend that everything's perfect in your life. It's certainly not in ours. We are regular people on a journey, allowing Jesus to make something beautiful out of our broken and often messy lives. One little step at a time, learning to live like Jesus. I'm Chris Voigt, and I lead the team here at Dayspring. That team is made up of people committed to helping you grow. We love to challenge, encourage, and equip people to become more like Jesus. So if you're on that journey too, we're looking forward to lending a hand. Even if you aren't sure that you want to be on that journey with us, maybe you are skeptical about the claims of Jesus or skeptical of his followers. Well, this is still a great place, a safe place to explore and ask questions as you look for answers. We're asking questions and looking for answers too, so I think we can be pretty good company on your journey. So welcome. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church by checking out our Facebook page or contacting us by phone or email. If you need help figuring out the next step to making Dayspring your home church, or if you just have questions, let us know. We'll help you find the answers. For today's service, you can find a discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. And now, let's join our service. If you are with us for the first time today, or if you've been skipping church, you can go online to dsf.church and watch the previous two messages and catch up if you would like. Okay, so I have a question for you, and you know how I love group participation. So would you please raise your hand real high so I can see everyone? should be looking at a sea of hands out here. And those of you on on the other side of the camera, you can please participate either by raising your hand or comment in the chat feature on the platform that you're watching. Keep them up there, that you're watching. I'm just going to talk for a while. You're going to see if your delts are any good. That's what's happening. All right, so if you like being told what to do, put your hand down. If you like being, no, you keep your hand up. All right, no surprise there. All hands back up again for the two people who don't mind being told what to do. All right, if you keep, listen up, if you keep a peaceful composure or a merciful attitude when you are being unjustly accused or unjustly criticized, Put your hand down. Hmm, all right. All right, thank you very much. I just wanted to know how hard we need to swing the bat today. All right, what do you say we pray before we dive into God's holy word? Heavenly Father, we come before you as no surprise to you. We tend to want to control or make, make the decisions or be in charge or you can't tell me what to do. So God, speak to us today. Open our hearts and our minds to your word. 
soften our hearts and our minds to your ways. Work what only you can do in us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So last week, Chris covered chapter 2 of 1 Peter, which concludes with these verses. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example. You must follow in his steps. He never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carries our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. As we move on to cover chapter 3, it begins with the words, in the same way. And this is referring to what we just read regarding the example of Christ. Uh, verse 21 says, for God called us to do good, even if it means suffering just as Christ suffered for us. He is our example, and we must follow in his steps. Jesus was sacrificially submissive and obedient to God's will. And in the same way, we are also to be sacrificially submissive and obedient to God's word. So here we go with chapter 3. You can follow along in your Bible, or you can use the screens, or you can navigate on your device to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Uh, you know, we're going to start, I, I better warn you here, we're going to start with the ladies, a word for the ladies. Now, don't get your bloomers all in a ruffle. Um, I challenge you to allow God to speak to you through his truth and not succumb to the world's view here, okay? We'll unpack after we read, and don't worry, we have some wisdom for the men in just a little bit. So for now, just listen for your own spiritual growth. All right, verse 1. In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourselves instead with the beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They put their trust in God and accepted the authority of their husbands. For instance, Sarah obeyed her husband Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters when you do what is right without fear of what your husbands might do. Now, Peter is talking to newly converted wives in Rome. Generally speaking, when a man became a Christian, he would bring his whole family into the church with him. And it was different with women because when they became believers, they would usually come alone. 
Under Roman law, the husband or the father had absolute authority over a woman. So it was very important that she didn't rock that boat, so to speak, regarding her newfound belief in Jesus Christ. This newfound freedom that she would receive in Christ could endanger her marriage if she exercised her rights and her husband disapproved of that. Now, Peter was instructing these women to have a, a gentle approach that was an example of Jesus Christ, and at the very least, their husbands would not restrict their involvement in the faith. At best, they would be drawn to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Now, the New Living Translation that we're using today uses the phrase, accept the authority. Other translations use the word submission. The word submission in this context is speaking to rank. You know, God has ordained authority, and we as believers are, are to willingly get under whoever we are under and over whoever we are over. God has ordained the husband to be the leader in the household. God has not ordained him to be a dictator, but to lead in a godly way which uh, we'll discuss in just a few minutes. Submission has nothing to do with the order of authority, but rather the operation of authority, how it is given and how it is received. And the purpose is to avoid chaos. You, I mean, you've all heard the phrase, too many cooks in the kitchen. Submission creates an order in the kingdom. It doesn't create a kingdom to give orders. Jesus often tried to teach his disciples to have a servant's attitude, but even at the Last Supper, they're arguing over who is greatest and who would sit next to the king. And Jesus was trying to teach them that great is the one who uses his authority to build up other people, not to build up themselves. Submission is when building up others is more important to you than building up yourself. Uh, Jesus even used himself as an example when he washed the feet of, of the disciples. Now, you know, it's not our nature to want to put others before ourselves. It's our nature to want to have our own way or to promote ourselves. But the Holy Spirit enables us to give up that need to, to have our way and be able to submit to others. Again, submission is the willingness to give up the need to have our own way or to give up our control of the situation. When we have a posture of submission, it doesn't mean that we have no self-worth and we won't speak out for what is right or what is just. It means that we have a gentle spirit and that we put the good of others before the good of ourselves. Submission has nothing to do with value. Scripture tells us of our unlimited value to God. Um, all people are of great value to Him, regardless of our role in His kingdom. All people have equal value, but they have different roles. God created it that way. One role is not more important than another. It's just different. And if we all work together in the roles that God designed for us, things go according to his plan. 
And sometimes someone else's role looks a little more fun or maybe a little more important or exciting than ours. But when we step out of our role into someone else's, we disrupt the flow and we get out of step with God's plan. We can actually hinder God's work by getting in the way. Ephesians 5.21 tells us to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Our motivation to live a life of submission comes through the Holy Spirit into our hearts as we choose to be obedient to the Lord. It is He who motivates us to be submissive, not those whom we are to be submissive to. In other words, it's not the good people around us who motivate us. It's the Lord who motivates us because we are choosing to be submissive to Him. He will, in turn, help us to live submissive lives among others. Now, in Philippians, Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider yourselves better, consider others better than yourselves. And Paul is telling believers to be more concerned with others than with themselves. And Peter also has a word regarding the true beauty of a woman. I mean, we can't look at our phones. We can't stand in a grocery line at the grocery store. We can't turn on the television without seeing the world's view of beauty. The beauty industry is a multi-billion dollar enterprise. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm all about looking my best most of the time. I mean, I'll still go to the grocery store in sweats, no makeup, and a sweaty ponytail. Um, in fact, on our vacation recently, I wore no makeup at all, and maybe except for a couple of times. My hair, whew, you wouldn't have recognized me if you saw me on Facebook. But the point in this passage is that true beauty doesn't come out of a bottle or from the end of a Botox needle or plastic surgery or clothes or jewelry. True beauty comes from the inside out, not the outside in. And I think we know that, ladies, but it's hard not to feel insecure when all around us is the externally unattainable. You know, a woman with a heart after God who has a gentle spirit and loves others like Jesus is the most beautiful creature ever created. And that is where we should be spending our energy and our time is becoming more like Jesus. Okay, guys, your turn. <laughs> Verse 7. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives, treat your wife with understanding as you live together, she may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. You know, again, Peter begins with the words, in the same way. Husbands, you are to give honor to your wives and treat them with understanding. I mean, let's face it, men and women are different. They have different emotional needs. They have different physical needs. And although everyone wants to feel needed and known, it generally applies differently for men and for women. 
Now, I'm going to make some general statements here, so don't get all in an uproar and start emailing my boss. So, generally speaking, women need more verbal communication. They need to feel wanted. They need to feel pursued emotionally and romantically. They like to feel special. They like to feel loved. They, they want to feel like they are the most important human to their husband. And guys, on the other hand, generally speaking, can be like, hey, I told you I loved you when I married you, and I'll let you know if anything changes. <laughs> and that doesn't do much for the need to feel special and loved. Generally speaking, men need less words than women. Um, which can sometimes make her feel like he's not engaged. And it isn't that he isn't engaged, it's just that he doesn't need the verbal as much as she does to feel connected. Now, I'm gonna use my marriage as an example today because we have struggled through and worked very hard at understanding each other. We've had our ups and our downs. Uh, we're different people with different needs. But one area where Tony does excel is honoring me by intentionally trying to understand and support my needs. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't disagree or that he's perfect, um, but, he, <laughs> but he values honoring God in our marriage, so he puts a lot of work into understanding me and what I need out of our relationship, and I mean a lot of work. Now, side note, some of you know this, but when he first met me, he thought to himself, oh, I could never handle that. She is over the top. And we're going on 30 years. Now, in the words category, I, I can tell when Tony gets home and all the words are used up, and he's just kind of checked out and uh, verbally done. And I'll usually say, someone else used up all my words today, didn't they? And it, it doesn't mean that he's checked out from our relationship. It means that he is on verbal overload. I mean, this isn't the time to try and have a deep conversation. And sometimes it's not the time to have any conversation. And that's okay. He needs an opportunity to let that word bucket drain out before I fill it back up again. And, and generally speaking, women need more emotional support. And that can look very different at different times. It's kind of a moving target, so to speak. But gentlemen, part of understanding her is learning what her emotional needs are and sacrificially understanding them so that you can meet them in a healthy way. Now, I can't tell you how many times I've met with a woman or a couple and she says, I've been telling him this for years. He's not listening, and I'm done. And he says, I never knew she felt that way. She feels as if she has been desperately trying to reach him, and he's completely clueless that there's even a problem. Listen to this. If one person in a relationship says there's a problem or I'm struggling. Listen up. 
because there probably is a problem and they are struggling. Just because you don't recognize it or feel it does not mean that it doesn't exist. So listen to them. Now, side note, critical side note. If you are struggling, get help. Consider finding a role model to help you grow in your relationship with your spouse. Contact someone that you look up to as a good example of a healthy marriage and get some wisdom from their experience. If you are a couple who has some experience working things through in a healthy way, consider being a mentor to a couple who could learn from your journey. And or find a good marriage counselor. Honor God in your marriage by getting outside guidance. Get some good spiritual and emotional support before you get to the critical zone. As Paul speaks of females being weaker, new subject, he's referring to weaker in the, not in the sense of being the weakest link. Ladies, being weaker is not an insult. God made us, generally speaking, physically weaker than men. Weaker doesn't mean less intelligent or emotionally weaker. Men have more strength in certain areas than we do, and that is how God made humanity. Men and women are equal parts in marriage, and there are different roles in marriage. What's important is to submit to one another in our roles to honor God and in turn honor each other. Uh, gentlemen, this is a quote from Warren Wearsby. He writes, the best thing a Christian husband can do is pattern himself after Jesus Christ. In Christ, we see a beautiful blending of strength and tenderness, and that is what it takes to be a successful husband. Now, to summarize, God wired every wife to desire a husband who would be her leader while loving her more than anything else or anyone else on earth. And God wired every husband to desire a wife who would honor him and respect him more than anyone or anything else on earth. And the biblical word for this gift of following and supporting in love is called submission. Let's continue. Verse 8. Finally, all of you should be of one mind, sympathize with each other, love each other as brothers and sisters, be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. For the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. Now the word finally here means kind of to sum it all up. To sum it all up, love God and love others as he loves you. Unity is critically important to honoring God. 
And being of, of one mind isn't always agreeing on everything. Uh, it's having the ability to agree, to disagree, and still get the job done. As believers, we are commanded not only to love other believers, we're also called to love our enemies. The recipients of this letter were experiencing persecution because they were doing the will of God. Even so, they were called to live with compassion and tenderness of heart and to be humble-minded toward others, regardless of the treatment that they received. We too are to live together with compassion and tenderness of heart and be humble-minded toward other people, even those who mistreat us. People can choose to respond to others on kind of on one of three levels. They can either do uh, bad for good, which would be the satanic level, good for bad, uh, worldly justice level, good for good, good for good, bad for bad would be the worldly justice level or good for bad, which is a divine level. Let's talk about that a little bit more. People can choose to return bad treatment for good. That would be the satanic level. People can choose to return good for good and bad for bad, which would be kind of the worldly level or what we would think of justice, an eye for an eye kind of thing. Or people can choose to return good for bad which is the divine level. And this is where turn the other cheek comes in. You know, turn the other cheek isn't to turn away from, it's to offer the other cheek as well. God's instructions for us on loving others is not to operate on the basis of justice, an eye for an eye, but to operate on the basis of mercy. Because that is how he deals with us. And Peter also addresses the control of our tongues. Many relational problems are caused by the wrong words or words spoken in the wrong spirit or that perfect storm of wrong words in the wrong spirit. Words are powerful. They can cause great harm when we allow them to get out of control of an anger or frustration. When we speak unkind words, it's, it not only hurts other people, it hurts us. It creates distance between us and God. Next, Peter tells us to turn away from sin and behave in a way that honors God. Not just turn away from sin, but develop a disdain for it. Not a disdain uh, for sin in others, a disdain for sin in our own lives. And I think that often the mindset regarding sin is just avoided, when in fact our mindset should be so much more than avoidance. It should become something we despise, not just something that we avoid. And, and we must also search for peace and maintain it. Loving God, loving others, this is what we're called to do. When we are out of line with God's desires in our lives, it puts distance between us and God. It keeps us from seeing him clearly and hearing him clearly. 
You might think of it like a window. You know, you're on one side and, and God's on the other. And the more out of alignment with God's desires that we are, the dirtier that glass gets. And you can't see through a dirty pane. And the more in line with God's desires we get, the cleaner the pain is and the clearer our view of God. And as far as hearing him, I, I kind of liken it to a tube that connects my ear to his. You know, the farther out of line I get with him, the more clogged up that tube becomes and the less I can hear. The more in line with him, the more open the tube. I mean, you get the picture, right? All right, so now we move into suffering for doing good. Verse 13. Now, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. Now, nowhere in Scripture does it say that those who follow Jesus will have an easy life without suffering. In fact, it says just the opposite. The Bible says we will have trials and tribulations. We will have difficult times, and sometimes that suffering is at the hand of someone else even when we are doing the right thing. Now, generally speaking, we tend to think that good people shouldn't suffer and bad people should. That's kind of our simplistic view of how justice should work. But in God's economy, that is not how it works. Unfortunately, everybody suffers at some point, and sometimes our suffering is at the hands of others and is unjust. And Peter's point for us is don't fear. Instead, worship Christ as Lord of your life. We must cultivate a daily attitude of faith that is obedient to God regardless of our situation currently. Uh, Peter goes on to say, and if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in, an, in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. If people speak out against you, they'll be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it's better to suffer for doing good if that is what God wants than to suffer for doing wrong. Now, the most effective way to influence someone else um, is through our actions, through how we live our lives day to day. I mean, you've probably heard the phrase, share the gospel and if necessary, use words. Now, that's true. However, we must be able to verbally explain why we are living our lives in the way that we are. And of course, uh, this is assuming that we are living a peaceful life of integrity and love that accurately shows who Jesus is. And I think sometimes that people are afraid to verbally share the gospel for many reasons. Uh, one being that they might mess it up. Uh, it's easy. Uh, one easy way to do this is, is to share how your life has been changed by Christ. Uh, and you just, you just kind of share with others who you were before you met Jesus. How did you meet Jesus? How were you changed because of your relationship with Jesus? And then let God do what he does best. Work in the hearts of people to draw them to himself. 
All right, verse 18, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. You know, Christ died for sins once and for all, the righteous and the unrighteous. He did that for the unrighteous, for us when we were unrighteous, to bring us to God. And he was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. Christ died once, and that is all that was needed. The righteous king paid the price for his unrighteous people so that we could have a relationship with God for all of eternity. He died in the body... But the power of the Holy Spirit brought Jesus back to life, and he lives in heaven waiting for us. The gospel in a nutshell. Now, if you need help sharing the basics of the gospel, there are several tools out there. There are, there are tracks and graphics, and if you need some pointers, ask someone that has experience in sharing the gospel. All right, following verse 18, Peter makes a kind of a strange reference uh, to the spirits in prison. So he went and preached to the spirits in prison, those who disobeyed God long ago when God waited patiently while Noah was building his boat. Only eight people were saved from drowning in this terrible flood. And that water is a picture of baptism, which now saves you. Not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience. It is effective because of the resurrection of Christ. Now Christ has gone to heaven. He is seated at the place of honor next to God. And all of the angels and authorities and powers accept his authority. Now, this seems like a strange thing to say here. It's a bit difficult to understand. In fact, scholars have different thoughts on the interpretation. It's one of those things in the Bible uh, that's not a salvation issue, and we might not come to a complete understanding of it, this side of heaven. It's a mystery, and that's okay. What's important is that we fully understand and embrace Christ and his role in our lives. This is the sanctification process. This is the lifelong process of learning his faithfulness, his goodness, his love for us. And as we move into verse 21 regarding baptism, I want to be clear, crystal clear. Peter is not saying that baptism saves you. Baptism is a symbol, a statement of our faith in Christ. The act of being baptized does not save you. The waters that flooded the earth when Noah built the ark was God's way of judging the sinful human race. And in his mercy, he allowed Noah's family uh, to have a new start by living on the ark until the waters of the flooded earth had receded. Now, in the same way, the waters of baptism represent a break from our life before Christ and the new beginning of our lives in Christ. We're called to be baptized after we accept Christ as our Savior. It's a public statement 
regarding our newfound freedom in Christ. The act of baptism represents our identification with the death and burial of Christ. It pictures death to our old self, the dunking part, and the new life that we have in Jesus as we're raised out of the water. Baptism represents our commitment to our new life. Now, maybe some of you were baptized as infants. Scripture tells us that baptism is for those who have chosen to believe in Jesus Christ. And as an infant, you were unable to make that commitment. So if you are a believer who um, has not had what we would call believer's baptism, please see me, email me, call me, call the church. Let's get it on the books. As believers, we're called to be baptized. Now, your personal conversion to Christ is a personal matter. But once you, you come to faith, uh, it is not to be hidden, but publicly proclaimed through baptism. And every minute after we surrender our lives to Jesus, we are on a journey, which is both personal and public, as we live our lives becoming more like Christ. It's a journey of choosing to live in the same way as Jesus. So about those questions that I asked you at the beginning of our time together, um, can we look at submission as a way of honoring Christ and others instead of being told what to do? And can we choose mercy and love over any form of retaliation when we're wronged by others? Can we choose to live in the same way as Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for an, a deep personal relationship available to you. God, I pray that our, our hearts and minds are so open and so tender that we're allowing you to touch that spot. What is that spot today that you're trying to talk to us, that you're trying to help us grow, that you're trying to help us see that we're not in the same way as Jesus? And then, God, give us the courage and the strength to seek the help, to reach out to others, to be transparent, to be in your word. God, may we be so desperately seeking you above all else. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. Let me encourage you to download the discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. Working through those questions, on your own or with others, will help the truth of God's Word find its place in your life. Please reach out if you have any questions or want help on your spiritual journey. My email address is on the screen, or you can call the church during the week. Faithful people like you make this ministry possible. People who believe in what God is doing through Dayspring, who have experienced God's work in and through their own lives and been changed in the process. If you're just checking us out today, please know that we don't expect you to give anything to support Dayspring. That is the responsibility of our Dayspringers. 
We are simply excited to play a small part as God does His perfect work in you today. For those of you who would like to start giving, we have three easy ways for you to get us your gift. Please see the online giving section of our website or text GIVE to the number on your screen or mail a check to us at the address you'll find on our website. And one more thing. Thank you for liking and sharing and following Dayspring on whatever platform you connect with us. Thank you for rating us where that is appropriate. Even more, thank you for sharing our services with your friends and family. God uses you to plant seeds in other people's lives, so keep sowing. And if this service was a blessing to you, it'll probably be a blessing to someone else too. Until we meet again, I am praying that God's richest blessings would overflow in and through your life.